One of the biggest concerns that I've heard about from business owners is how to maintain a really great company cultures as more and more workers are operating virtually, remotely, whatever it is you want to call it. So I thought I'd tap into the expertise of my good friend, Nick Sonnenberg, whose company, Leverage, has in fact always been virtual and has an incredibly strong company culture. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. On this very special episode, I have my good friend, Nick Sonnenberg, who is an expert in company efficiency and also an expert in creating, building, structuring, incredibly successful remote virtual distributed teams. So today what we're going to do is a deep dive into culture because if you were in person before, you might be remote now, you're doing a ton of stuff on Zoom. Some of that's probably gone well. Some of it has probably been a challenge. So Nick, thank you so much for joining me today because as far as I'm concerned, you've got this dialed in in terms of really (laughs) how to have a great company culture and you give it a ton of thought. So I can't wait to explore this with you. I've definitely given it a lot of thought. I mean, whether I have it dialed in or not, I mean, it's an evolving process, but we've made a lot of progress. You could say that. (laughs) (laughs) So company culture, how to have a great one with a distributed remote virtual team, we'll use those terms synonymously, is really what we're up to today. So again, just appreciate you sharing your expertise as always. And we always have a fun time collaborating. So thanks for having me back. Always love being on and chatting with you. Fantastic. So first of all, and, and you raised this point as we were getting ready today, let's define culture because there's lots of different takes. There's the super practical side. There's the soft side of culture. There's the Tony Shea, you know, a lot of times based on core values. How do you look at culture? You're looking at how to have a great company culture. What are some of the parts of that that are important to you? I don't walk around thinking about the definition of culture, but I guess at a high level, If you have a good culture, what I would expect the company to look like is that people should be able to make decisions and operate in a way without me having to spell out every single detail and micromanage and be able to fill in the gaps. So for me, having a good culture is that they're able to fill in the gaps in line with how I would expect them to without me having to spell out, you know, a bajillion rules. Mm-hmm. But that's my definition. What do you think? I completely agree. And I was actually talking with a couple of people about core values and you give me yours, which are really cool. It allows people to make decisions when you're not there. You know, that's the... Yeah. Okay. So we're saying the same thing. Totally. You know, great company culture is one where people are excited to come to work. They're excited about the work they're doing. They're feeling like it's meaningful and there's not a ton of friction. Yep. And, you know, friction drag are two of the things that just I'm allergic to in terms of teamwork and all ways, shapes, and forms. So you're also about reducing team members' anxiety and stress and chaos. So let's talk about that. Yeah, well, I think also part of culture is if you have a good culture, you should be able to attract, retain, and get the most out of the best people, right? So you could have great people, but if you have a bad culture, and we could define what bad culture might be, they'll burn out, they won't be happy, they might turn over in a short period of time. And I think I've shown you these graphs where you could see voluntary turnover over the last 10 years has doubled inside of companies. I know we'll talk about processes and systems, but the more turnover you have in a company, the more important is to document things and to have really robust systems. Because if you have a bad culture, for whatever reason, if people leave three months after you hire them, six months after you hire them, be extreme, there's a ramp up time. So you have to shorten the ramp up time for a new hire. But you also have to document things because if you invest three months training someone, 
and they leave after six, that ratio of output to input is off whack. So culture, just like other things, is to me just one piece of the puzzle that helps with retention, which, like we just said, clearly affects bottom line. But it also affects your ability to attract new talent, to have higher performing teams. Ultimately, all the stuff I'm passionate about is, you know, how do you have the most high performing team possible? Mm-hmm. You know, where culture impacts that, systems, automation affect that, et cetera. Cool. I think this might be a fun time to bring in your core values. Can you share what they are? <laughs> and we just put ours into an acronym, which was great because it makes it easy to remember. So what's yours? So ours is EASE. So it stands for efficiency, challenging status quo, reinventing the way things are done, aspire to do things right, using time and technology smart in lean and efficient ways. Then we have the A is agility. So being able to adapt and handle any situation and being resilient. So, you know, with coronavirus, you know, being remote is a function of being agile. Simplicity. So being able to take something complicated and simplify it and communicate it clearly. And the last E is effectiveness. So unlocking potential both for ourselves and our clients Mm -hmm. and being able to find the best ways to achieve a desired result. So, you know, effectiveness is doing the right thing and efficiency is doing things right. Mm -hmm. So we want both of those. Perfect. So let's just talk a little bit about leverage because people may not know your company. So how many team members do you have? What do you do? How do you work? What's your structure? Because I'm sure people are probably going to try and map what they're doing with how you're structured too. So we're about 12 internal people and about, you know, 45-ish or so people that do work for clients. Right now, what's been the most popular thing where we're really focused right now is helping businesses become operationally efficient. And especially with the move to remote work, people are coming to us like, how the hell do we do this? What tools do we need? How do we actually run a high-performing remote team? So right now, what we're spending the majority of our time is helping businesses consulting them, advising them on what tools to use, how they should use it, training their teams. Because you can't just make a decision on these tools and systems in a vacuum. It's a holistic approach. You know, one tool for you might be the right tool, but for another person might be the wrong tool, depending on the larger context. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people come to us, oh, what do you think of Confluence for a knowledge base? Or what do you think of Monday for project management or Slack for a communication tool? And They're all great tools, but the right one for you depends on many other factors, Mm -hmm. right? So that is the main focus, but we also do things within the marketing space. So we're helping people with copywriting and Facebook ads and content creation and social media postings and things like that as well. So we call ourselves a growth agency, anything that helps you with your top line and bottom line. And we give you access to experts and execution and consulting to help you achieve your desired results. Awesome. So the other thing is that people may not know that Coach is actually a client of Leverage. And so we use a lot of the content creation. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I feel like Leverage is actually a whole other team or team member, well, several team members, that really helps to leverage what Coach is up to. So we love working with you guys. Yeah, we just make it easy to get work done, right? We give you this team. You don't have to go and interview full-time people. You don't have to go on a scavenger hunt on a freelancer platform. We just make it easy to get work done. And whether that work is within marketing or the higher level work now is just consulting and advising people, you know, from a foundation standpoint, 
how do you run the most efficient company possible? We're able to do that. And I haven't seen other people able to do what we're doing on the operational efficiency side. So it's we're kind of exploring blue ocean territory with that. Very exciting. I'm excited for you. Awesome. So let's go back and let's talk about your team. There's a bunch of things that you do in terms of really reducing that friction and drag for team members in terms of how efficiently they work because you apply your systems internally too. And then let's talk about the other part of culture for me is people like hanging out together when they see each other. You know, there's the in-person or replicating in-person as much as we can because that's the other part. When you've got, you know, committed engaged, intelligent people striving towards the same thing, we kind of like to hang out together. It's partly why you and I (laughs) like to spend time. Right. So let's talk about that part too. But let's start with some of the operational efficiency stuff. So you've really worked hard to reduce stress for your team. So what are some of the key systems and processes that you've implemented that you've really noticed make a big difference? Well, if you ask them, they'd probably argue I haven't reduced their stress. But um, (laughs) so I have that CPR framework, which you know about. That's what drives the consulting and the execution. Let's define that in case someone hasn't heard me. Yeah. So it stands for communicate, plan, and resource. And I developed that framework. I just found over time and iteration, those were the three big components for us to successfully run a remote company. You know, every business, whether you're an operational efficiency consulting business, or you're a vet hospital, or you're Tony Robbins, doesn't matter. Every business has to communicate internally and externally. Every business has to plan. So there's tasks and projects that need to get done. And resource is all about documenting knowledge. Now, you know, different businesses, you could be in healthcare and have certain other requirements. You might need a CRM or certain types of CRMs or password management or security or cloud computer. There's other things beyond that. But every business, what we found, and we've worked with businesses ranging from seven figures all the way up to 11 figures at this point. Every business has those three components to it. And the biggest issue is people don't look at it like that and they don't know when to use the tool. So if you think of order of kind of priority, you have to understand when to use a type of tool. When should you use a communication tool versus a project management tool, right? So you're understanding when to use different types of tools. When should you use email versus Slack versus text? Mm -hmm. So understanding the when is the first part. The tool itself is actually the last part, the what. So you have to know when to use a tool, then you have to know how to use the tool. You know, email, if you know that email is for external communication, great, that's the first thing. But how do you actually use email properly to get to inbox zero? Or you might've heard of a tool like Slack or Microsoft Teams. So knowing that that's a tool for internal communication is the most important, but if you don't know how to use it on mobile, if you don't know about naming conventions or private versus public channels or how to do threading or how to do third-party integrations, you're only going to be scratching the surface of how much value you get out of that tool. So first, you have to know when to use the different types of tools. And one example I use is the difference between a communication tool and a planning tool. Imagine you go camping in the forest with your team. You need walkie-talkies to communicate with each other, but you also need a map to navigate out of the forest. So you know, then you have to make sure that you know how to use a project management tool properly. You know, Are you breaking out projects in the right way with definitions of done and milestones and backlogs and doings? Do you have a robust sprint planning process where you can allocate estimated points to things so that you have an idea of, you know, who can work on what and what can get accomplished? And then on the documenting knowledge side of things, you know, is your proprietary company knowledge documented? If 
someone were to leave, how hard would it be for someone to get up to speed? Have you automated what is automatable? So those are the three buckets that we look at. And you know, notice it doesn't really, to me, matter if you want to use Asana or Monday or Slack or Teams. I mean, that to me is like less than 5% of the problem. It's really this scavenger hunt problem where no one has a strategy in terms of where information should live. And it's text and WhatsApp and email and, and Asana. And before you know it, if you have to go back and stitch together what the full story is, it's going to take you a million times longer. So that's what we identified. And it's really incredible how this is a tested framework at this point where every business from seven to 11 figures, it's worked and it really removes the scavenger hunt from their business. And then the side effects of that is less stress, less wasted time, you know, unique ability. You want to remove, if people are spending five hours a week going on a scavenger hunt, if it takes an hour to find a document because you have, and we've all been there, right? Because it's just a mess. And in the moment you threw a document in some random folder that you forget, and you haven't thought more strategically on where information should live. You know, you want to remove all of those wasted time so people can spend their time on unique ability. And that's going to translate into bottom line and affect your profit, but also it's going to affect your culture. You know, you'll have people working on more interesting work. No one likes going on a scavenger hunt. And also, if you use these tools right, you'll have more alignment of expectations, which I think is really where the majority of culture impact comes from when you have a misalignment of expectation. I think that something's going to get done this week, but it doesn't get done. And whose fault is it? Well, if you don't have a good system to capture things and good sprint planning and transparency and accountability, it's your own fault. It's not the fault of your team members if things don't get done because you don't have a good system to hold people accountable and for everyone to be aligned on what the highest priority things to do. The quote that I came up with, which underpins this, is that a company can only scale as fast as knowledge can be retrieved, not transferred. So it's all about optimizing for something different. So if you're listening to this right now, I'm sure that you can relate that you're probably have so much opportunity, things are moving so fast. And in the moment, you just need to get something off your plate, you just need to tell someone something, you just need to put something somewhere. So what you do is you optimize for speed of transfer, whatever's fastest in the moment, I'll just text Shannon, I'll just stick it here for now, because I have 20 more calls for the rest of the day. But what happens is over time, you build operational debt. And at some point, you always have to pay back your debt. And if you were to pause and have a more strategic approach and spend two extra seconds and put information where it belongs, you're going to be optimizing for the right thing, which is speed of retrieval. It's like when you do your dishes, you don't just take everything out of the dishwasher and just throw it all in one drawer. You separate your knives, your forks, and you do that not because it's faster, it's faster just to dump everything into one drawer, but you do that because when you have to go and retrieve a knife and a fork, it's faster and you don't have to dig through a whole pile of things, right? Same with your laundry. When you're finished with your laundry, you don't just throw your socks, underwear, shirts, and shorts in one drawer. You separate it because you're optimizing for speed of transfer, right? You don't leave your clothes all over the house. You put things away because you don't want a mess. You don't like living in a mess. A lot of these concepts that I'm talking about aren't new concepts. People are doing it in their personal life for whatever reason, they don't do it in their business life. 
So I'm just taking concepts that we're already doing in personal and just mirroring it into the business world. There's so much to unpack from what you just said. Yes, thank you. And actually, I love the <laughs> unloading the dishwasher for retrieval. So the other thing that occurs to me, especially as I've gone from being you know physical to remote in terms of how coach is working right now, is that physically, I'm used to being able to go and talk to somebody or literally walk 50 feet to go to their office and I would go physically retrieve something. Now that we're on Zoom and it's digital, our digital systems are not designed, you know, for that same level. It was more efficient in person and now it needs to be more efficient when you're remote. So that's the transfer. Not easy, but I love this whole idea of retrieval. It's a brilliant quote, by the way. You know, Dan Sullivan said this for years. He goes, you know, in the 20th century, there were three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. He said in the 21st century, it's reading, writing, arithmetic, and retrieval. Oh, really? Which you you probably haven't heard him say that yet. No, I haven't heard him say that. It's 100%. But where can you go find it? And I love the scavenger hunt because I remember the first time I heard you say this almost a year ago, I was like, oh, my gosh. And you measured the scavenger hunt. You've measured the cost for companies of someone spending even just moments a day when they have to go find something. Can you share that? Because I think it's pretty illustrative to the bottom line why we need to solve this problem for folks. Well, first of all, what we find on average is when we work with people, there's five to 10 hours a week per person in a company of just opportunity sitting right now underneath you to free up because of inefficiencies. Sometimes it's even more than that, but within a short period of time, that's what we're seeing. now. The problem of the scavenger hunt scales exponentially with team size, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people make the mistake, oh my God, there's all this opportunity. There's all this work to do. We need to hire more people to get it all done. If you do that and you don't have a foundation in place, you don't have your core values, you don't have an operational efficiency framework. If you don't have that foundation, hiring new people doesn't always necessarily help you. It could hurt you, right? And When I give talks, I show mathematically how an organization scales exponentially in terms of complexity with team size. So when there's three people on a team, there's three ways that you can talk to each other. When there's four, there's six, five, it goes to 10. If you get to 10, there's 45 ways to connect, right? I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. And if you go from 10, so there's 45 at 10. If you go to 100, there's almost 5,000 ways to connect. So If you 10x your company from 10 to 100, you're 100xing the complexity in terms of number of ways information can be transferred amongst the team. And when I've worked with businesses that are already like 1,000 people, it is unbelievably hard to fix things. Mm. It's like a ball of rubber bands that you have to like untangle. Now I forgot your question. I I just wanted to say that. (laughs) It's so true. I told you I had ADD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You and me both. My eyes are getting wide because Coach has roughly 100, slightly over 100 people. So I'm like, oh, yes. that would so be. So you got like over 5,000 ways that information can be yeah. transferred. But with one company, you put a dollar amount. So here's something to think about too, like just from an impact perspective and bottom line perspective, right? So sometimes the things that we do with people, it's like there are some things that might just immediately save someone an hour a week, or in some cases, even more. For the most part, with any of this stuff, it's the sum of micro improvements. And you have to be not just looking for, oh, I need this one strategy that's going to save 10 hours a week or something crazy. But 
there might be a thousand opportunities to save a minute or 30 seconds or 10 seconds, right? And it adds up. I think the example you're referring to is I was working with Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, and they had over a thousand people or so in the company, but they used the right tool. So they were using Slack, but they were using it in inefficient ways. And they had these channels with no naming conventions. There would be channels like marketing hyphen social media or social media hyphen marketing or I don't know, yoga channels. And so you didn't know where information should live and they were all public. So everyone was getting added to these channels and it was just nonstop chatter. And you don't want that to happen. You want to be intentional with how you use these things. So the dollar amount, I was just doing back of the napkin math. So I was assuming on average, people's rate was like 50 bucks an hour. And I was assuming something like a message takes 10 seconds to read on average, interferes with your flow state by a minute, which was conservative. If you ever read deep work, it takes like 15 minutes to get back into it. So I was just saying, look, each ping that you get that you didn't need is a minute of lost productivity. And if you're a thousand person company, that was happening over 60 times a day. So I was saying, basically, people lost an hour a day of productivity. Now, if you're a 10 person team, you know, it might be less, but it's more the thinking process of thinking about how much bottom line waste you have in your business. So take someone's hourly rate, take how much time is wasted. So in this case, it was an hour a day, $50 an hour. So it's $50 a day per person, a thousand people in the company, that's 50K a day, 20 working days in a month. It was a million dollars a month of waste just because of the way that they rolled out one tool. So I really like to harp on the fact Everyone asked me, oh, what's the best tool? But you could use Slack, you could use Teams, you could use a lot of different tools. And depending on many different things, the right tool might be different for you than someone else. But the more important thing is alignment of when and how to use these tools. And that's really the value that we're adding right now with our clients is the proper rollout. I'm just sharing one example of one tool right now. Imagine, you know, there's hundreds of different elements to these things. So that one thing was, you know, a million dollars a month, but there was a whole bunch more of those little things and it starts to stack up. Again, like that's a large company, but even if you're a team of five or 10 or, or 30, you know, you can do the math, take someone's hourly rate, think about all the moments that are inefficient, not utilizing their unique ability. You know, if someone's in their unique ability, maybe their time's worth 200 an hour. And when they're not, maybe they're doing the work of a $10 an hour person. So, you know, it's really good to do like a bit of a time audit and see where there's, parts of someone's day and week where they're not focused on their unique ability and figure out ways to shift the percentage as high as possible to unique ability time. So it could be that you need to hire someone to do the work, but more than likely part of the solution is also going to involve proper usage of tools, automation, and other things as well. But most people's knee-jerk reactions just to hire more people, which usually is, I think, the last resort solution for me. Well, and to me, it's exciting to think about how do we make our processes, our systems more efficient? There's an opportunity there, you know, the opportunity to streamline, to make things faster. I mean, I'm a bit of a speed freak, so it suits me. And I hate that waste of time. And I will not do things. I will skip steps so that I don't have that pain because I feel very sensitive to that type of scavenger hunt type of frustration. But I'm the worst person in the world to try and put that system into place because I'm not consistent in naming. I need someone else's brain because they're going to be able to create that structure. It's not how my mind works. Now, I can deliver on it, but I can't actually create it. So having someone else to help figure that out, 
Who, not how, right? <laughs> exactly. You got it. You're my who. But there is a real thing about processes and systems. And your thinking is in exact alignment with Dan's. Often we have our fabulous tool called the Experience Transformer, which is how you take a situation often that didn't work. It used to be called the Negativity Transformer. Then we realized, oh, you can actually transform and upgrade any experience. So we renamed it to be more positive or neutral. But when you look at a breakdown, what worked, what didn't, knowing what we know now, what will we do differently next time? And then you create your new system. And his point in that exercise is very rarely the human. You know, it's very rarely the person who just completely blew up what they were supposed to be doing. It's usually the system. Totally. Yeah. But a lot of us have to shift from, again, that physical to that, I was going to call it digital. We don't know it. And for me, I'm just side out of mind. So it becomes even more challenging, which is why the intelligence around these kinds of systems, I think, is so key to tap into. Yeah. Well, Experience Transformers is an important tool. It's similar to the concept of like doing postmortems on if there was an issue or we do postmortems. Oh, we don't call it a postmortem, but it's a variation of this every quarter where we you know, how did the quarter go? What could we do differently to improve? So so like those types of little things to definitely impact culture. You need a feedback loop. How can you improve something if there's no feedback loop? So you need to have feedback loops and, you know, using the experience transformer or whatever variation you want to have that feedback loop is critical to improving your efficiency, but also your culture. Awesome. Let's also talk about synchronous versus asynchronous communication. You know, I like how you talk about different time values. So let's dive into that. We could talk all day. Let's make sure we cover (laughs) this topic before we wrap up. So a lot of people that we speak to, and we've been in this boat too, they're underwater. That's why my new book is called Come Up for Air, because everyone's underwater. Part of what causes underwater is too many meetings, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've been doing as much as possible is trying to remove synchronous meetings because what you were just saying, you know, time is not linear. An hour at 9 a.m. is not worth the same as 9 p.m. on a Friday after you're tired, had a beer, and, you know, your brain's kind of only working at 20%. So when we talk about time savings and like that five to 10 hours, another part of this is it's not just five to 10 hours, it's five to 10 hours of your most valuable time. It's not five to 10 hours of brain dead time. So that five to 10 hours is actually probably worth 10x, you know, brain dead 10 hours. But in order to do that, you have to move to asynchronous. And what we do a lot is we use a tool called Loom. It's a video recording app, or you could just use Zoom and do it too. But we, for example, I used to do a weekly one-on-one with the team and we've stopped that and everyone records a video. We have a process of how we do our weekly sprint planning. There's a certain process that you go through, you know, this is what I did last week, this is what I'm blocked on, this is what I'm planning for this week, this is what I need help with. And we have a unique way of using Asana to facilitate this. This is its own podcast in itself, how we do sprint planning. But the bottom line is we have a process for it. And what people do is they record their screen of showing that process and they send it by a Saturday morning I can watch it at 2x speed. I don't have to block my calendar. Whenever I have some downtime, I have more flexibility. They have flexibility to do it kind of whenever they want, as long as they get it in by Saturday. I'll watch it whenever I have time. I could be on a walk and watch it. I can watch it at one and a half or 2x speed. I can rewind if something I missed. And then I'll give them back feedback, either sounds good or, hey, I think that this one thing is not as big of a priority as this. Could we push this one thing 
out a week and replace it. And so that has really transformed the company. I'm saving, I don't know, five hours a week of synchronous meeting time on the calendar and I've replaced it with asynchronous. You know, each team member saved an hour themselves. But then also our sprint planning process helps to have alignment of expectations. Because if we didn't have that, I would literally be just throwing a million things at people. But they can put the brakes on me and say, hey, look, cool. You want me to do this? What don't you want me to do then? Because this was what was on my plate. What should I shift out? And it's like, oh, actually, all that's important. Never mind. What I just told you, push it out a week, right? Or I could say, actually, yeah, this is more important. Put the 17 thing, move that over a few weeks. That's less important because things have changed. So asynchronous is key. You could do asynchronous by texting, by slacking, by audio, as much as you can replicate that in-person experience. So we try to do as much video and audio asynchronous as possible because you could type good job in whatever communication platform, but you could also do a five-second video saying, hey, Shannon, you did an awesome job on that. It takes about the same amount of time, but doing it with the video, there's more of a connection there and you're more replicating that in-person experience the more people can hear your voice and see your face. Mm -hmm. So as much as possible, we try to do video, but we also try to do video asynchronous. That's super cool. Oh my gosh. So lastly, before we sign off, because yes, we could do lots more podcasts. What still is in person, if anything, with Leverage? Well, we've always been a remote company. You know, we even did a Christmas holiday party remote. We did a remote escape the room with the leadership team. I think though that after all of this is over, there will be probably hybrid kind of remote is going to be the future. Because I do think there is something to be said about connection and being in person. But, you know, we formed a little bubble and did a team retreat back in November with eight of us. So what we try to aim for is quarterly to have, you know, some smaller group of the team meet in person. The feedback we get, though, is people get more done remote than in person, but it's really more for culture and connection. And sometimes, you know, if there's like a really hard problem to solve and you want to like whiteboard and be in person, it can be a little bit better. But the feedback that we've always gotten is we get more done remote because when you're in person, you get those distractions and people just come over. Hey, Shannon, can I ask you a question? Can I pull you into this? So you can be much more intentional with the right system. It can be much better because it forces people to follow best practice and be more intentional. But I do think there is something to be said for some amount of in-person, but our target is once a quarter, we meet for a week with the leadership team. And then the rest of the quarter, we go remote. We haven't been able to do it quarterly because of the pandemic. But like I said, we just met in November. We'll probably try to meet again sometime you know, in spring. So yeah, I think that that's really the future is this hybrid approach. Yeah, I completely agree. There was some research done that four to one, although it may be different now, for digital for virtual to one in person is kind of a nice ratio. And last thing I'd realized, I didn't cover the synchronous meeting that you have. So you have an hour and a half planning meeting with your key leaders every week, right? So you are together actually kind of doing that. And it sounds like people also plan their work so you know how not to overwhelm them. Like I've given coaching so many times, well, let your entrepreneur know, what do you want me to not do? But they haven't had a good way to do it. And you actually have people plan out their work in their week so that you can see, so there's no guessing and you're not freaking out that people aren't doing their job. Yep, here, I'm gonna share my screen really quick and just show you what I'm talking about. I know the listeners won't be able to see this, but I think you'll get a kick out of it. But we have 
a whole bunch of different meetings that have different purposes. We have our sprint planning meeting. We have our level 10 meeting because we follow EOS. What you were referring to before is every Wednesday in the afternoon, there's an hour and a half asynchronous time where we just get there. And one of the benefits of Zoom, and we did that Zoom webinar with Dan, is you can do breakout rooms. So we'll all join. And then we're guaranteed if we need something from each other, there's a block of time where we're not scheduling other things. And if I need something from you and it's just too hard to schedule, we'll cover it on the async time and we'll do breakout rooms. And it's like, we'll start the first five minutes, who needs who to solve what problem? And we'll come up with a game plan. It's like, okay, we're gonna do 15 minutes. Nick and Shannon will be in breakout room one. Andrew and Nisha, they can talk about client retention in breakout room two. And we'll just start off, we'll break people out into whatever rooms they need, come back in and go get it. Also, what we do is we use breakout rooms to do design thinking meetings. So we might have a big problem, not problem, but like a strategy change to solve for, right? Like, should we stop doing this type of work? Should we start doing this type of work? Speaking of culture, we just did it last week called Red Flag Rules, which is a Keith Ferrazzi exercise where it's really where you co-create as a team. It's not core values, but it still touches culture. You know, how do we want to show up and what's the right way of coming to work? So we break out into rooms, we kind of prioritize, you know, we should speak in a nonviolent way, we should be on time to meetings, we should do whatever. And then we can come back and see what the breakout rooms came up with and prioritize it. So you could really solve complicated problems using design thinking frameworks and Zoom breakout rooms in a robust way. But here, I'll just show you what I'm talking about. So the output of our sprint planning, and we use Asana, Everyone has a capacity. So you could see everyone has some type of number of capacity. And then you could see who's in the red and who's not in the red. And you could see a breakdown of where that is being spent. And I could click down here and I could see all the work. And this is what happens on that asynchronous video. And then I could say, okay, well, you know, this quarterly deck is less important. Let's just drag that over here. Mm -hmm. Right. And it shifts the height of the curve. So you can see. If someone's at full capacity, it's full transparency in terms of what's causing that, who could take things off the plate, what could get shifted out further. And so we really make sure that expectations are aligned and the most important stuff is getting done at any point in time. I love it, Nick. And you always have a way of taking, for me, what's kind of a high-level concept and actually turning it into a visual so you can see. And there's a level of intentionality and awareness that to me is impressive. A lot of people just show up on Monday and kind of are very reactive. But what you have talked about and demonstrated and showed is a way for people to be very proactive about their work. And I think we know when you're not seeing people, there is that question, what are people up to? And so it's key to have some of these systems in place. Well, it might look easy, but to be honest, I paused my book for a year because it follows the CPR framework, my book, Come Up for Air. And the P is planning. And it took me a year of iterations to get to what I just shared my screen and showed you. Mm -hmm. So it took a really long time to kind of crack that code, but it's really transformed the company. So it took a long time to figure this stuff out. All right. When did your book come out? Can't wait. Uh, most likely in the summer, still tying up some loose ends. All right. But summer launch is what we're planning on. Okay, sweet. Well, I definitely want to come back and do an author interview with you on your book because I think that'll be amazing. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'd love you to be a beta reader. Of course. Sign me up.
I'm in. So if people want to learn more about you, about Leverage, and I really appreciate it. I feel like you kind of showed us kind of a little window into your company and how it works. So I really appreciate that. And you've been doing it for a long time. So if people want to learn more about you or how to reach you, how can they track down Nick? Getleverage.com is the website and Nick at getleverage.com is my email. N-I-C-K at G-E-T-L-E-V-E-R-A-G-E.com. And if you go to the website, if you're into this type of stuff, we have a podcast on it. I'm a writer for Inc. So I write about this stuff. But if you have any questions or like this, you could, you know, feel free to reach out and we can have a chat. Okay. Awesome. Nick, thank you. Thank you. I love hearing about all the CPR framework, especially in the context of how it supports having a great company culture. I don't think that's a conversation too many people have had. So really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thanks for having me.